Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. As a church, we are studying the book of Genesis, and today we are in Genesis chapter 29. So get your outlines out, and if you don't want to use those, get your Bibles out, or open up your iPad or your iPhone, whatever copy of God's Word you need to have in front of you, get ready as we start to study uh, the text today. We are studying the life of Jacob, and Jacob, by the way, uh, he is the grandson of Abraham. He is the son of Isaac. He is one of the big patriarchs, and we are in the process of learning how God is cultivating him for his role to be the next in the generation of the patriarchs. Jacob has a brother. His name was Esau. They are fraternal brothers, not identical brothers. They're twins, actually. Now, Esau, he was a piece of work, just so you know. You think of Esau, think of a guy who was really furry, a guy that had a shedding problem. You know how it is when your dog gets on the couch and leaves all kinds of hair? Well, that's the same kind of problem whenever Esau was on the couch. He just shed all over the place. He is that fuzzy. But Esau is not just a fuzzy man. He is a worldly man. There are really three things that rule his life, and that is fun food, and female. That's all he cares about. In fact, he was a guy who married three pagan wives. That's all he could is get more women in his life. And not what you would call the right guy for the next patriarch. So some of you think, well, maybe then Jacob's obviously the right guy for the next patriarch, but he is not much better. Uh, he's a little different than Esau. Well, Esau was the fuzzy man. Jacob was the smooth-skinned man, who, and his skin was like a baby. But he was not a godly man. In fact, he was known as an incredible cheat. He was known as a liar, deceiver, rip-off artist par excellence. Rips off his uh, brother twice. Rips off his blind old man once in a really spectacular ripoff that really stole millions of dollars from his brother and his father. I mean, when that is what's on your resume, that you are really good at cheating people, that is not a good thing. In fact, he is so bad at this that his name in Hebrew becomes synonymous with cheating. To Jacob somebody in the Old Testament means to rip somebody off. And when that's what your name is, and it's synonymous with that kind of action, not a good deal for you. After his latest ripoff of his father and his brother, uh, Jacob ran for his life. Because when your older brother is committed to killing you, <laughs> you know you really messed up big time. Now, of course, in a Jacob way, he doesn't really just say he's running for his life. He tells everybody that he is leaving to look for a wife. He's going to go... Uh, back to Padam Aram, where his mother came from, and look for a godly girl. And so that's what it looks like on the surface, but underneath, he's fearing. About 50 to 70 miles outside of town, when he puts his head down to, to sleep at night, it's a really low point. It's a really dark point in his world. He has nothing. He just has a rock for a pillow. And at this low point when he is running 
when he has nothing. He's lost it all. It's at that low point when God breaks into his life. And that was our message last week. We called it stairway to heaven, or actually it should be stairway from heaven. Because God, in a stone staircase, literally reaches down from heaven to earth in his dream. And Jacob sees the angels of God going up and down the staircase of heaven. We learn through the rest of Scripture that the purpose of angels is they are sent to protect and to care those who protect and to care for those who will inherit eternal life, which is us. So these were God's angels, he saw, that were being sent to protect and to care and to watch over him as he's taking this long, over 500-mile, difficult and perilous journey, a journey where he is looking over his shoulders constantly, fearing for his life to see if his brother will actually hunt him down and kill him. God is going to watch over him. God is going to take care of him and show mercy to him. And lastly, what we learned is so incredibly cool. You see, at the lowest moment in Jacob's life, when he was reduced to having nothing besides a rock for a pillow, fearing for everything, it's the lowest moment of, Jesus, of Jacob's life when God breaks in and shows his mercy and love that Jacob never deserved. And folks, that's not just Jacob's story, but isn't that our story as well? Yeah. That some of the lowest moments in our life is when God reaches down and shows us mercy and love we don't deserve. In fact, in John 1, 51, Jesus literally describes himself to Nathaniel saying, I am Jacob's ladder. I am the link between heaven to earth. I am God's grace that you don't deserve, but that is shown to you. It is shown to us. And that's where we left off last week, after Jacob had his great come-to-Jesus moment, and things have changed. Well, this morning, the, the story continues of Jacob's life. And by the way, things are going to get really interesting and, and very spicy. Now, I don't know how many of you ladies here this morning like those daytime soap opera da- dramas. Like in my day, it was General Hospital. Uh, maybe it's the young and the restless now. I don't know all the stuff that goes on and the dramas that they show on on daytime television, but a lot of ladies are interested in this stuff because, you see, there's, there's all kinds of loves and betrayals and love triangles and deceptions, and you think, well, some people are interested in that. Guess what? Genesis chapter 29 is a soap opera story. Love, betrayal, love triangles, deception, and it's all a bunch of women working together in this one. Very interesting. Today I'm going to do something a little different than the way I normally teach. Usually if you've, you've been around here a while, I usually just do a lot of uh, teach, illustrate, apply. Teach, illustrate, apply. Do a lot of that right through. Uh, this week I'm going to do something different. My goal this morning is to have you understand and experience this chapter. I'm not going to do a lot of application through it. I just want you to understand the angst and the emotional pain that happens. And then when we get to the end, I'm going to give you just one point of application and one moment of grace that we all will need after we hear the story. So that's the story. Sort of call this Simple Sunday. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Let's read the first eight verses. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, 
and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the, the sh shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. And Jacob said to them, My brothers, uh, where do you come from? They said, We're from Haran. He said to them, Well, then do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, Yes, we know him. And he said to them, Well, is it well with him? They said, well, it is well, and see, here is Rachel, his daughter. She is coming with the sheep. And he said, behold, it's still high day. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered together. You guys should water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together, and then the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. Jacob wakes up from his dream, and he is greatly encouraged. He was greatly fearful before. It's a long and dangerous journey, and most likely he is probably taking this journey himself, nobody with him, and probably, not, probably very few animals to even carry his stuff with him. The Hebrew here literally says that after this vision from God, that God is going to watch over him and care for him and bring him back to this land, it literally says he picked up his feet. Uh, apparently he was dragging his feet beforehand. Now he's pretty excited. He is picking up his feet. Um, my guess, by the way, at this point, is that even though this is a 500-plus mile journey, that Jacob is completely alone on this journey. I don't think he has an animal with him to carry his stuff. I picture Jacob as one of those hitchhikers on the side of the road, you know, that carries a backpack, has that huge amount of facial hair that needs to be shaved, and desperately needs a bar of soap. That's what I picture Jacob, because why do I picture him without an animal? Here's the reason. He had to use a rock for a pillow last week. When you don't have any room for a pillow on your animal, it's because you don't have an animal. You can always throw a pillow on an animal. If you're carrying it all yourself, that's when you don't have room for a pillow. So this is most likely what Jacob is doing, carrying it all by himself, hundreds of miles, Picture maybe a hundred-pound backpack. But here's an observation I'd like to make for you. I think it's actually really good for him. As you know, that Jacob has been, up to this point, sort of a mama's boy. A guy who hung out in the kitchen all the time. But mama's boy is about to change. Finally, he is out of his dysfunctional parents' house. He doesn't, he's not living under the constant deception of his mom and dad. He is carrying a hundred-pound pack. He is walking 500 miles. If that won't make a man out of you, I don't know what will. This is the rough equivalent of going through a marine boot camp. And the hard work that he is going to go through at this point changes, begins to change him mentally, begins to change him emotionally, and I even believe it begins to change him physically. Physically, and I'll tell you, I really think that Jacob is starting to get from a little girly boy to one of those buff boys. Like, I think he's getting some serious, like, strapping shoulders and muscles on him. And you say, well, why is that important? 
Hold the phone on that. That is really important as we start to go through this. He finally arrives where he's supposed to go. He arrives at the community well uh, outside of Paddan Aram, and he says, guys, you know, um, are we here? Am I here? Where am I at? You know, where are you guys at? He says, well, you're in Haran. Right spot, by the way. And essentially, he says to himself, my GPS worked. That's good. I, I've arrived at the right place. And he says to these shepherds, these lazy shepherds who are just sort of hanging out by the well in the middle of the day, and it's like, you know, do you know Laban? That's the guy I'm looking for. Oh, yeah, we know Laban. Uh, things well with Laban? Things are well with Laban. In fact, here comes his daughter, Rachel, right now with the sheep. A uh, little insight here. Why are these three lazy shepherds? Uh, we don't know if they're three. It's probably three, one per flock. Uh, why are they hanging out at the well? Well, personally, I think they're hanging out at the well because they want to see Rachel. We're going to learn in a few minutes that she is a real hottie. I mean, she is an amazing, drop-dead, gorgeous woman. So I think that these shepherds are not just there to water their sheep in the middle of the day. They're there to see Rachel who comes to water her sheep in the middle of the day. Interestingly, we also learned something else, is that there was a stone that was put over top of the well. This is common. This is ordinary. Typically what they would do in that culture is they would have a larger well, and there was a heavy stone put on top of it. This particular stone was very heavy. Um, it took six, seven men to unroll this stone from the well and then to get water out of it. And this is common. You, have, you, know, you don't want people falling in the well. You don't want animals falling in the well. You, you want to keep dirt out of the well. But the point is, you need a lot of men to move this stone from the well. Now, here's what I want you to do. Have fun with this. Put together the pieces. You have three lazy shepherds who have arrived early to sort of uh, see Rachel. You have Rachel arriving in the distance, the beautiful, drop-dead, gorgeous woman. You have Jacob, Jacob who has uh, just gone through a long walk to get there, Jacob who has just essentially returned from marine boot camp, and you have a large, extremely heavy object that needs to be moved. What do you think is going to happen? Guys, what would you do? Try and show off for the girl? Yeah, show that you're a stud, move the heavy rock. Well, you've got it. That's exactly what's about to happen. And Jacob is going to try and show off his muscles. Here we go. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep. She was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near. And what did he do? He rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman, and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. 
And as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Rachel shows up on the horizon. And Rachel is that drop-dead gorgeous woman. We're going to see that in a moment, that she is incredibly good-looking. She is one of those ladies that doesn't wear makeup, but other people wear makeup so they can look like Rachel on her bad day. That's what she looks like. Jacob, as we see, has undergone sort of a little of a transformation. He was that girly guy. Now he's starting to turn into that manly guy. The way I picture this is the Captain America movie. Do you guys remember that one? Captain America, Steve Rogers, you know, the really wimpy guy like this. And they put him in the box and give him that injection of that, all, of a, all that, whatever that stuff is. And all of a sudden, he's like this huge masculine man. This is what Jacob has done. He has gone from the, the wimpy guy to the huge, incredibly strong guy with muscles. Because what he does is he takes and he moves the wellstone that probably took about six grown men to move right in front of Rachel. So we're talking, what, 700, 1,000 pounds that he rolls and moves away. And all of a sudden, the guys who were interested in Rachel are like, oops, uh, we're in trouble. There's a new sheriff in town. Rachel likes the guy that has muscles. You know, and Jacob shows off for her that way. But here's what's interesting. He's not just one of those super strong types, but ladies, he's also one of those soft and sweet caring types. A good combination, right? What you look for. He waters her sheep. And then he's emotionally sensitive, too. He breaks down in tears, and he, he is kissing her and crying. And so you have strength and softness all in one guy. You know, this is like Rachel thinks this is the perfect man. Now, why is he crying, by the way? Here's why he's crying. He's so excited to finally be, after hundreds of miles of walking and hiking in terribly rough wilderness, so excited to be at the place that what he could call home, a place where there's family once again. And he's just emotionally overwhelmed. So after he gets himself finally back under control, he tells Rachel who he is. She runs and leaves him at the well and tells her father. Her father ends up so excited, he runs and comes to see him. And you have all three of them there hugging and kissing and weeping and celebrating. And it's like, oh, it sounds like from here on out, it's a wonderful story. And it sounds like the end of a movie where it goes, and they lived happily ever after. But there's a little bit more going on behind the scenes. You see, for Jacob, it was like this. He knows his mother's story. Remember the generation before when Father Abraham went to this exact, sent his servant to the exact same place and his servant, maybe at the exact same well, saw Rebekah coming to draw water. And Jacob has just come off of this situation where God said, I'm going to care for you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to guide you. And what happens is Jacob comes to the well, meets Laban's drop-dead gorgeous daughter on the spot. And what is Jacob thinking? This is a, 
This is a match made in heaven. This is just like what happened to mom. This is the right girl for me. Incidentally, I think Rachel is thinking the exact same thing because she knows the same story about how her father's brother ended up being married away to that side of the family. But Laban, I think, is a little different. Here's where it gets interesting. We're going to see that Laban is a crook. In the previous generation, when Abraham's servant showed up and he met Rebekah at the well, he instantly offered a huge and large dowry to buy her. So when Laban hears that that side of the family has showed up and just met his daughter at the well, what do you think he is thinking? Thank you. Dollar signs. I'm going to get rich. That's what's going on in his mind. So yes, there's a, everybody's crying, everybody's excited, but there is a different motivation for Laban inside of all of this. The story continues. Then Laban said to Jacob, well, because you're my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? I mean, tell me, uh, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, Well, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, Well, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man, so stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Jacob uh, is in Laban's house for a month. We know that from the previous text we just read. Now, at first, it's exciting to have a relative over your house, isn't it? It's great. But after a while, it sort of starts to grow on you, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, you can see uh, Jacob is eating all of Laban's Doritos. And, uh, Jacob is one of those guys that he's used to people cleaning up after him. So he has his super nachos and he eats them on the couch and there's like crumbs that are in the couch cushions. And then Jacob is probably one of those guys that wipes the cheese off on the arms, you know. And it's sort of getting gross and the people are like, okay, uh, Jacob, you know, this is not really your house. And Jacob is probably one of those guys who likes to take long showers and sing in the shower and use the bubble bath. And so you can imagine the electric bill, the water bill is starting to go through the roof because Jacob is around the house. But Laban notices that Jacob has taken that special interest in Rachel that he really has eyes for Rachel, and he desperately wants that woman. Laban, being the manipulator and schemer, tries to spin this whole thing, so it's all going to work in his favor. And here's what he does. The, the first thing, you know, as he says, he says, why don't you name your wage for staying with me? You've been around for a while. Name your wage. Now, think about that. You're living in a guy's house. You're eating a guy's food. You're totally a burden on that guy's family. And then the guy says to you, why don't you name your wage? 
Are you going to ask for what you're worth or are you going to totally lowball it? What do you think? Lowball it because you feel pretty guilty for what you're doing anyway. In fact, Jacob doesn't even ask for money. All that Jacob asks for is for Rachel's hand in marriage. He says, I'll tell you what. I will serve you seven years for her. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The standard price of a dowry, which is what you would give a father to buy his daughter in that day, would be three years of labor for a day worker. What this is, is he offers a double dowry. Why does he offer to work twice as long? Here's the reason. He's madly in love with Rachel. Can't you see her? Oh, I'm so special. He would work twice as long for me. Now, what Laban should do is he should turn around and say, no, 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 that, no, no, that's okay. I know your heart is that way. You would work twice as long for her. But your family, I should be helping you get on your feet. Let's do something closer to three years. That's not what Laban does. Seven years, I'll take it. Essentially, it's three years plus four years for free. See how he's a snake in the grass? A little deceiver to do this? Taking advantage of Jacob and his love? But those seven years actually pass fast. And here's why they pass so quickly. Because Jacob is madly in love with Rachel. Can you picture this? After he works all day in the fields for Laban, he comes home and he sees Rachel in the kitchen. And he eats with the family. And then he grabs Rachel's hand and they go for a walk out in the fields. They watch the sun go down. They talk and they share life and they date. They date for seven years. Seven years of sharing their heart and their dreams and their love for each other. Seven years of taking a calendar and each morning putting an X through a day. One day closer to their wedding day that they can't wait for. This is what they are looking for. Now, where it gets really interesting is this. It seems like it's a match made in heaven. It seems like we have the guy who's built like Captain America who is now dating a woman that looks like Christy Brinkley. And it's only a matter of time until that wedding day. But here's where the wrinkle begins to come in. Remember, Jacob, or Laban, excuse me, has another daughter, an older daughter named Leah. Here's what you need to know about Leah. Leah's a little bit soft on the eyes. Now, what do you think that means? It's a very polite way of saying, um, she's not that good looking. Why other people can't take their eyes off of Rachel, nobody wants to look at Leah. And to make things even more interesting, in the Hebrew, her name means cow. Are you getting the picture? So you have the Christy Brinkley Rachel and her sister that is named the cow. Eh, Very interesting setup here. Let's continue the text. Then Jacob said to Laban, Well, give give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed. 
So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Seven years he goes into this serving time, and it passes quickly. But you notice the way this reads at the beginning, at the end of seven years, was Laban really quick to give his daughter away in marriage? What do you think? No, he dilly-dallied and he delayed. What is he doing? Trying to get more free work out of Jacob. So finally, he, he gives in after Jacob's pestering him. And he has a, a, a wedding ceremony. Now, in this day, the way wedding ceremonies worked were, in some ways were similar to ours, in some ways was different. The first day, you had the vows, you had the commitment, you had the wedding night, but the reception lasted an entire week because people didn't drive cars. So if you were going to actually attend a wedding, it was a serious commitment. So you might as well stay there for an entire week, a week of eating and feasting. And by the end of the week, everybody looked like human bowling balls because they ate that much food. So what Laban does, he says, okay, we're going to get you married off. We're going to have a wedding party. And on that day, and I, this is sort of the way I picture it, what you need to know, in that day, you didn't see your bride on your wedding day until your wedding night. That You wore your veils and stuff like that, and you were covered. So you didn't see who she was. And what Laban does is he has a trick. He's determined to get more free work out of Jacob. He switches the women. Here's how he does it. What he does is... Jacob never sees Leah on that day because she has that veil, that thick veil over her face. And if you look at the Hebrew term for this wedding party, it is literally a drunken party or a drinking feast. So what he does is he does not serve a lot of food. He serves a lot of beer and a lot of wine to get everybody smashed, in particular to get Jacob loose on his senses. And then when it comes to the wedding night, when the sun is down and nobody can see anything, he sends Leah into the tent instead of Rachel. And all night long, Jacob takes all of the love and all of the passion that he had been saving for his wife on her wedding night and he pours it out on the wrong woman, on Leah. Now, here is where it gets interesting. We like to finger Laban in this one, and rightfully so. This is part of his trick to get more free work out of Jacob. But don't put the finger exclusively on Laban. Because the finger also goes to this older sister called Leah. Here's what we have going on. Leah, if you realize this, had a crush on Jacob the whole time. 
Leah is the girl who could never get a date for the seven years that Rachel and Jacob were dating. Every time Jacob comes home and his eyes brighten to see Rachel and they hold hands and they go walk in the field, every single time that happens, Leah with jealousy is saying, I want that to be me. I wish that was me. I wish somebody loved me and wanted me like that. In fact, when her father talks about this proposal to switch the girls on the evening of the wedding night, she goes right along with it because she wanted, La she wanted Jacob the whole time anyway. And on that wedding night, she for once in her life is relishing in the fact that she is getting the attention her sister gets. She is, once, for one time in her life, finally playing the role that her sister has. And she steals from her sister her husband's virginity and her husband's wedding night. Now, that's pretty dark. That's pretty weird and nasty. But that is what is going on. I told you this is like a soap opera. It's worse than daytime television. When Jacob finally wakes up and finds the wrong woman in bed with him, he freaks out. He goes to um, Laban and says, Laban, you, got, you gave me the wrong sister. What are you doing? And Laban says, well, here's what I'll do for you. I'll tell you what, I'll still give you Rachel, but you have to work for me another seven years. After all, didn't you say she was worth a double dowry? You see how he's manipulating See how he's tricking and using? And what is Jacob going to say? No. So he's stuck working for Laban another seven years. But here's what you need to understand. Leah is committed to outdoing her sister. Leah is committed to playing the role of her sister. And you know that now that she is married to Jacob just like Rachel later becomes married to Jacob in the next week, that she is committed to being a better wife and more captivating wife than her sister ever could be. You see, the deal is these two women are fighting for one man's heart. That is what's going on. Think of the fallout from this. Because of this, Jacob and Rachel's relationship never becomes what it could be. Because forever, Jacob has another woman in his heart that is vying for the attention of his soul. This is like a man having his wife and his mistress in the same house at the same time. Can you see the tension that is going to take place in this house? The only guy who's happy from this relationship is Laban, who gets seven more years of free work. Now let me go ahead and read the text. Laban said, Well, it's not done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and then we will give the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Bilhah, uh, to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, but he loved Rachel more than Leah, 
and served Laban another seven years. Now, here is where it gets interesting and the points of application come. Do you notice what Laban said to Jacob about, about, about why he did this? He said, it is not done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. In our country, the older always takes precedence, and the younger never usurps that, those rights. Do you think those words hurt? Do you think those words reminded Jacob of something that he had done seven years before? Whereas the younger, he had usurped the right of his older brother and stolen from his father the family blessing? In fact, if you think about this, this is where it gets very interesting. Seven years before, Jacob had dressed as Esau. Jacob had got his father drunk. And Jacob took advantage of the fact that his father could not see to steal the family blessing. Seven years later, Leah dresses as Rachel. Laban gets Jacob drunk and then takes advantage of the fact that he cannot see in the darkness of his wedding night. It's the exact same thing flipped back around. And for the first time, Jacob understands what it's like to be on the receiving end of the kind of sin that he has been dishing out for the earlier part of his life. He understands what it's like to have people deceive you and lie to you and steal stuff from you. Now he understands. But here's the difference. Jacob was able to run away from his brother who wanted to kill him. And he was able to run away from his father and get some distance. Jacob could never run away from this. Because for the rest of his life at the dinner table, there will forever be two women staring at him. An older one who is bound and determined to do everything she can to get him. And a younger one who is bitter and angry because her husband was stolen right from under her nose by her sister. On Rachel's face every night, the anger that he sees and the frustration and pain of having her wedding night stolen from her, he finally sees that, he understands that, and he knows what his brother Esau feels like every night because the family blessing, the family inheritance was stolen from him. He connects finally. Here is what you need to understand. One big point of application for this whole message. God is committed to maturing us. He's committed to making us more into the image of Christ and changing and maturing our character. But sometimes when we struggle with particular sins that we find ourselves addicted to, God in His love will bring somebody into our life who is better at that sin than we are so we can be on the receiving end of it so we understand it and we repent of it and we leave it. You see, this is all part of God's plan 
to change Jacob and to get rid of his life, out of his life, is his love for cheating, deceiving, lying, and stealing. Because finally he knows what it's like to be on the receiving end of cheating, lying, deceiving, and stealing. This means that if you're in business and you're somebody who is perpetually not necessarily really honest with your bills and honest with your clients and you're cutting corners and you're cheating people, God in His love will probably bring somebody into your life who is going to cheat you in business. And you're going to be furious and you're going to be angry and you're going to say, how could somebody do that to me? And God's Holy Spirit will touch your heart and say, that's exactly what you do to them. Now you understand. And He'll use that to bring you to brokenness and repentance. That means that if you're somebody who is given to fits of rage and anger and tearing people up with your words, God in His grace will probably bring somebody into your life that is also given to fits of rage and anger, but you're going to be on the receiving end of it and you'll feel what it's like and how much it hurts you. And God will use that to help break you from that and to give you a spirit of gentleness and kindness and forgiveness. See, the Scriptures say this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he reap. The Scriptures also say in Proverbs chapter 3, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproofs him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Just as a father disciplines a son because he loves him, God will sometimes discipline us. And it will be painful. But he does it out of love, not out of hate. So that's the one point of application. Now the question is, I told you I'd give you one point of grace. Where is it and what is it? Here's what it is. It's Leah. Leah was a pretty wicked woman a woman that would steal from her own sister, her sister's wedding night, a woman who would steal her sister's man and then spend her life trying to compete with her own sister in a relationship that she was never originally intended to be in. In fact, next week we're going to see what I call the battle of the babies. Both of these women are going to compete to see who can give birth to more babies with Jacob and be the more loved woman in his life. And just so you know, by the way, Leah wins the battle. She has more kids, but I'll tell you this. She loses the war. That in Jacob's heart and in Jacob's life, she is clearly unloved. She is clearly number two. She is a woman who really makes a mess. Jacob's marriage makes a mess of her sister's marriage, makes a mess of her life. You say, well... Is there anything good that Leah does? Here's what you need to know. Just like God showed incredible grace to Jacob at his lowest moment when he didn't deserve it, God shows incredible grace to Leah when she doesn't deserve it at all. Leah, one of the children she has is a son named Judah. And from Judah's line comes a son named David. And from David's line comes Jesus Christ, the very Son 
of God. When God chose whose line he was going to put his son through, he chose to put it through the line that was created by Leah, the woman who had made a mess of her life and made a mess with all the sin, but yet God showed grace and mercy to her she never deserved. And to me, <laughs> this is so encouraging because when we make a real mess of our lives and when we mess things up, Say, God, you could never use me. You could never do anything with me. My relational world is destroyed. Leah's story says, no. God can still use you and your children in an amazing way for His honor and His glory that you would never expect. Isn't that encouraging? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I, I thank you for this story. <laughs> Not a story, but a true story. Jesus, I thank you for in love breaking Jacob of his cheating and deception and helping to understand what it was like to be on the receiving end. Lord, this is tough love, but I know it was good love on your part. Lord, I know that sometimes you give us some tough love. Lord, I ask that you would help us to remember that you discipline the children you love. As you discipline our lives, it's because you love us and not hate us. I also especially thank you for the incredible grace you showed to Leah, that it was her son Judah through which came David and through which came Jesus. Incredible grace and mercy in her children's life that she never deserved. And we thank you there's incredible grace and mercy in our life that we don't deserve as well. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.